Well, if you haven't already done so, I want to invite you to find that passage in your copy of God's Word, Matthew chapter 18. And as we continue this study of the hard sayings of Jesus, we read here a story that begins in a very encouraging way, in a, in a very moving way, but finishes in, in, a, in a hard way, in a way that jolts us. And I believe that was Jesus' intention as he, as he tells this story. All of us have encountered situations in life, and maybe you're in one right now, where forgiveness was very, very hard. Sometimes it feels like it's pretty easy to forgive, but other times it feels like the offense is so egregious that there's no way, no way possible I could let this go. And as Jesus tells us this story in Matthew 18, he lets us know that for the Christian, there's no room for that way of thinking. Without further ado, let's just, let's just get right into the story that Jesus tells, because it's a masterful story that he uses to make his point. So he begins with, first of all, a question. It says, Then Peter approached him and asked, Lord, how many times must I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? As many as seven times? Peter's question comes on the heels of the text that many of us are familiar with on how to handle uh, when how to handle a situation when someone sins against us, how we're supposed to go through that process of restoring, and if they don't respond, then what we do after that. And so, at the end of verse twenty, most likely here, this this is just Peter's natural question after hearing that, and you can get by the the tone of the wording, Lord, how many times do I have to? That that probably is sort of his attitude in coming here. Like, okay, what's the max that I've got to forgive somebody? Now, now notice here, this is, this is a repeat offender. This is not just how many times do I have to be forgiving throughout the day. But this is someone who has, who has committed an offense against Peter multiple times, and he said, well, how many times do I have to forgive them? Up to seven times? Uh, most of the rabbis in that day taught that, that you had to forgive three times, but the fourth offense, you could, you could hold a grudge. You did, not have to, you did not have to release the person who had sinned against you. And so Peter thought he was being extra generous by saying seven. Look at this. These rabbis, they talk about three. Do I, need, I could forgive them up to seven times. Is that all right, Jesus? And Jesus replies with one of Jesus's typically challenging responses. And he says, I tell you, not as many as seven, Jesus replied, but 70 times seven. Depending on how you read the Greek, it could, be, it could read 77 times or 70 times seven. But either way, all scholars agree that Jesus is coming up with a big number, not for the purpose of us keeping track so that when we hit that, we've got an excuse to hold a grudge. He's letting him know, listen, you need to forgive, period. No matter how many times that person offends you, no matter how many times they sin against you, you need to continually forgive. One commentator says, this is the language of hyperbole, not of calculation. 
Those who are concerned as to whether the figure should be 77 or 490 have completely missed the point. In other words, there is no limit and no place for keeping a tally of forgivenesses already used up. If one is still counting, one is not forgiving. If we are keeping count, we are not forgiving. This goes along with what Paul said in 1 Corinthians 13 as he lists the characters of true love. He says, love keeps no record of wrongs. When we love like Christ, when we seek to follow him and be obedient to him, we don't get to keep score. Now, we, when, when we go to, you know, a lot of times when our kids are really little and they're playing sports, uh, that's the, the mantra. Oh, we're not, we're not keeping score. We're just, we're just out there having fun. And that, if you're a competitive person, that drives you nuts as a parent. You're like, oh, I'm keeping score. You can do whatever you want out there, but I'm watching how many people cross the plate here. This is a game. Somebody's going to win. Somebody's going to lose. This isn't soccer here. There's no ties. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus, Jesus wanted us to know, though, that when it comes to relationships, when it comes to life in the kingdom of God, there, there is no scorekeeping. We don't get to keep track of how many times we've forgiven. We don't get to set limits. And so Jesus then tells us a story to illustrate his principle, as he so often does, and here so beautifully does. And so he says in the beginning of this story, for this reason, the kingdom of heaven can be compared to a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. And when he began to settle accounts, one who owed 10,000 talents was brought before him. As Jesus begins this story, he he. He probably even said this with a smirk. Certainly, some of his hearers and the disciples would have smiled at this number that Jesus throws out there. This king who has a servant who, owns, who owes 10,000 talents. That, that, that number represented more than the entire annual income of the king. Perhaps more than all the actual coinage and circulations in most kingdoms at the time. It was an outrageous figure. In fact, if we want to be a little bit more specific about that, the average worker uh, in, in Jesus' day would perhaps make one talent in a year, a single talent in, in a year. If we were to translate that into ta today's term, the amount this man owed could have possibly equaled as much as $400 billion. This was an outrageous sum of money. Jesus knew that. He, he, was, he was going, just going gigantic. And everybody would have known that as Jesus was telling this story, that, that there was no way possible for this servant to, be, to, be, uh, to get out of this on his own. This man owed such an outrageous sum of money. There was no amount of work he could do to, to dig his way out of this. Because they would have known that, I mean, it was just such an outrageous number. No one could have accumulated that kind of debt. Jesus was clearly communicating about a debt that is, that is beyond repayment. The payment would, would have to include everything the man owned in order to even begin to just dip his foot in the water of repayment. 
And so, verse 25 tells us, since he did not have the money to pay it back, his master commanded that he and his wife and his children and everything he had to be sold be sold to, be, to pay back the debt. And again, the listeners would have known that that, that that wouldn't have even scratched the surface of what was owed. But you see that to pay this debt, it would have come at an outrageous cost, an unbelievable cost. Not only was he going to be put in slavery, but his wife and his children and, and everything he owned was auctioned off so that the king could recoup a little bit of his debt. This man's situation was dire. Imagine that. We, we don't have debtor's prison in this, in this country, but just imagine it wasn't that long ago, and especially in, in places like Europe, where, where if, if you had a debt you couldn't pay back, you were thrown into prison for that, which seems to be crazy because then you couldn't work to pay the debt off, and things just got worse and worse and worse for you and your family. This, this would have been the, the most awful situation imaginable. Just put yourself in this man's shoes. You owed so much. Now you're going to be sold into slavery. Your wife, kids, you're all going to be separated and sold into slavery to repay this. You can see this man's desperate plight. And so in verse 26, it says, At this the servant fell face down before him and said, Be patient with me, and I will pay you back everything. Again, Jesus' listeners would have been shaking their head. Like, no, you can't. You're not. No matter how hard you work for, for lifetime after lifetime, you can't re- repay this debt. Jesus wanted it to sink in that this man had a debt he could not possibly pay. And the master had every right to punish him That was the law. This man owed him money. The master had, by every right, the ability to to toss him into prison, to to sell off his family. Verse 27 is a beautiful transition. It says, Then the master of that servant, there's three things, he had compassion. He released him, and he forgave him the loan. The master set him free from his debt. That word, the word forgiveness that's used here in this passage means to dismiss or release something. Even can be used and translated to, to physically send someone away from your presence. It's the idea of, of letting go, of opening your arms and saying, I'm not going to hold on to this anymore. We'll come back to that in a minute. Then, then there's a, a, an even stranger twist to the story. Verse 28 says that that servant went out. So the same servant who had been forgiven $400 billion went out and found one of his fellow servants who owed him 100 denarii, a few bucks. He grabbed him and started choking him, and he said, pay what you owe. At this, his fellow servant fell down and began begging him, be patient with me, I will pay it back. But he wasn't willing. Instead, he went and threw him into prison until he could could pay what was owed. 
Again, Jesus' listeners are drawn into this story, and they're confounded by the turn of events. This man, who should be on cloud nine, elated at being forgiven billions of dollars, bumps into someone who owes him a few dollars, and immediately is enraged and say, says, you will give me back that money or else. The guy didn't have it on him. He didn't have it in the bank at the time, and he says, I'll pay you back. The servant says, forget that, you're going to prison. And in our minds, we don't have a category for this. This is crazy. This guy who had been, who had been set free from impossible bondage, who owed far more than, than could be calculated, now is turning in, in, in anger and unforgiveness calling this man to pay a few bucks. Well, verse 31 tells us, when the other servants saw what had taken place, they were deeply distressed, as are we when we read the story. And it says, they went and reported to their master everything that had happened. Then after he had summoned him, his master said to him, you wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you begged me. Shouldn't you also have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And because he was angry, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he could pay everything that was owed. So also my heavenly Father will do to you unless every one of you forgives his brother or sister from your heart. The master was not about to let this go unpunished. You see, the, the servant should have been changed when encountering such generosity from the master. His heart should have been melted. There should have been no room for, for such anger and such unforgiveness. His heart should have been changed and open to generosity because he was shown such amazing generosity. But it wasn't. And so the master said, fine, because of this, I will throw you in prison. And he adds even to be tortured until he could pay back everything that was owed. The listeners knew exactly what that meant. There, 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 was, there was no hope for him now. He was beyond help. If the master wasn't going to show him grace and kindness, there was nothing that could be done now. And he was lost. Such a somber conclusion to a story that starts off so, so amazing and so full of grace and generosity. And all of a sudden, you see here a hard heart and punishment for such a hard heart. But we see that the story ends with a troubling conclusion. Let those words sink into you. Jesus has finished the story and gives his summary statement, one sentence. So also my heavenly Father will do to you unless every one of you forgives his brother or sister from your heart. Let that sink in for just a moment. 
We're talking about the hard sayings of Jesus. Jesus could have said a lot of things that, well, we would have just as soon he said. Like, hey guys, just remember, you should forgive people. He doesn't say that. He doesn't say, listen, you'll be sad if you choose not to forgive, but that's your choice. He doesn't say that. He says, so also my heavenly Father will do to you unless every one of you forgives his brother or sister from the heart. He actually said this earlier, very similar words in the Lord's Prayer back in Matthew chapter 6. When we're taught to pray, forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors and do not bring us into temptation but deliver us from the evil one. And then he says, for if you forgive others their offenses, your heavenly Father will forgive you as well. But if you don't forgive others, your Father will not forgive your offenses. Please, please do not leave here this morning without letting the the stark and serious nature of Jesus' words penetrate your heart. What Jesus is saying is simply as we can rephrase it is that forgiveness is not optional for people who say they've been forgiven. For the Christian, forgiveness is not a, a, a choice that we get to, it's not a, we don't have multiple choices when somebody offends us. We don't get to decide what we do with that. He's telling us that, that forgiveness is the only path for one who has been forgiven. And if we don't forgive others, our Father will not forgive our offenses. We love to sing about the grace of God. We love to sing about how good God has been to us. But for some of us, we have no desire to turn and show that same generosity and forgiveness toward others. And if we're hearing the words of our Savior correctly, he says that means that you don't know the first thing about forgiveness. I want to kind of linger over the application here a little bit, if you're taking notes. You see, all this comes back to the fact that we cannot fathom how much debt we have before God. We simply cannot wrap our mind around the weight of our sins. Just like none of us in this room can wrap our minds around $400 billion, either having it or owing it, we cannot wrap our mind around the offense that our sin has brought before God. We we simply cannot. We can read about the holiness of God. We can read Isaiah 6 and him falling apart in the presence of God. says, woe is me, I'm a man of unclean lips. We can read about Moses trembling in the presence of God at the burning bush. We can read of the God of Mount Sinai where the mountains quake. And God telling the people, if anybody comes near this mountain, they will die. We, can, we get glimpses and we get pictures 
And God has communicated it to us, but, but because of our sin, we, we cannot grasp the, the full weight of it. Our pride is always there to, to, to sort of filter out the scriptures. Our self-justification is always there saying, well, yeah, but. There's none of us who truly knows God in his perfect holiness. And there's none of us who truly can see an accurate picture of ourself before this holy God. That's why the prophet Jeremiah said the heart is deceitful and desperately wicked above all things. Who can know it? But what we can do is take God at his word. What we can do is feel the conviction of sin as the Spirit of God brings it. And if you're a Christian who's truly been changed by the grace of God, you've gotten glimpses of your desperate need for his grace. You've understood that there's nothing you can do to get yourself out of the plight that each and every single human being ever born has found themselves in. You know that we owe God an insurmountable debt. Just like this servant owed his master billions and billions of dollars. We have a debt that there's, there's absolutely no chance of repaying. You can say, but I work really hard. You can say, but I, I volunteer here. I give my money there. I'm, I'm really a, a pretty good person. I come to, come to church every week. There's none of us who can pay the sin debt that we owe. My brothers and sisters, sin is that serious. God's holiness is that unbelievable. There's nothing we can do to have a chance to repay that debt. It does no good to pretend it's not there. The debt will be called one day. It does no good to try to, to figure out how to get on a payment plan. There's not a chance. The only thing that we can do is fall on our knees and plead for the master's mercy as this servant did. He got off to a good start. It's interesting that in the story, and Jesus is like this with his parables, he doesn't answer all of our questions. He doesn't fill in all the blanks, but it is interesting. It doesn't tell us how he got into such a debt. My brothers and sisters, we, we didn't have to like work to earn our sin debt. The Bible teaches us that we were born into sin. We were born with a sinful nature, it, and, it, and, it, and it comes as our natural nature being born in this world. It's, it's, it's what we do. It's, it's how we are. We cannot fathom how much we owe before God. It starts there. If we're going to be grateful for the forgiveness God offers us, and if we're going to be forgiven people, we must realize that we owe a debt that is far and beyond anything that we can ever pay. But secondly, this also means we can't fathom just how much we've been forgiven. If we can't fully understand the debt that we owe, we, we probably will never fully understand, at least this side of glory, just how much the grace of God accomplishes when it saves us. Uh, and, and most of us just, we think, we sort of have this idea, well, like, yeah, of course God saved me. I mean, what, couldn't, well, how hard was that? Like, I've not killed a bunch of people. I'm not a felon. I, I'm, I, I'm, you know, I haven't done 
you know, all these crazy, awful things. It's, it's not a big deal. Of course he forgave me. But it starts with understanding the, the depth of the debt as much as we can anyways, and then beginning to scratch the surface of how to understand how much we've been forgiven. We really haven't defined forgiveness. We talked about it being a releasing, a setting free. Forgiveness means giving up the right to revenge and punishment. And that's what Jesus did for us on the cross. The, 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 the wages of our sin, Scripture says, is death. It's separation from God. That's what we owed. And through Jesus Christ, those who come to him in faith are set free from that debt. We're released. We're no longer going to be eternally separated from God and brought away from him. The Bible teaches us that in giving his grace to us, God has released us from this debt. And we, all under know, we all understand and know this, this concept when it comes to, to possessions. Let's, let's pretend you've got a brand new convertible. And your best friend has said, hey, I've got a date this weekend. I'm going out of town. I'd, I'd really love to borrow your car. Would you let me borrow your, your brand new convertible? And, and your kindness and generosity and maybe a little bit of insanity, you say, here's the keys. Go have fun. And when they come back, it looks like, it looks like, you know, they, they thought it was a video game or something. They, I mean, it's just, it, there's just gashes up and down the side of the car. And it's clear, like, they just, they just went to town and just thrashed this thing. It's, it's, it's a wreck. It's still running, but it's, it's a wreck. They beat it up. Now, if you want that car restored, it's going to cost you. And you're either going to force your friend to pay for it. You're going to make them pay, literally. Or you're going to pay. For that car to be restored, for wholeness, somebody is going to pay. That's how debt works. There's a reason that Jesus used money in this story. Because somebody had to pay. There was no opportunity for you and I to be forgiven without payment. Either we die and are eternally separated from God... Or, God was going to pay. God was going to send His only Son to take on the punishment that you and I deserved. Those were the only options. Somebody was going to pay. My brothers and sisters, the same is true in our relationships with one another. When somebody hurts us, when somebody offends us, there is going to be a payment. It does not just go by the wayside. Either you make them pay by choosing not to forgive, by remaining bitter, by not talking to them, by giving them the cold shoulder, talking behind their back and gossiping about how bad they are, how much they've hurt you. 
holding them accountable to pay for the offense. Or you're going to pay. You're going to choose to forgive and and take that hurt and give it to Jesus. That offense needs to be taken care of. Either you're going to lord it over their heads or you're going to hand it to Jesus and believe that he's paid for it. Forgiveness, someone has said, is voluntary suffering. It's a choosing not to hold on to what you have every right to hold on to. This this man who owed money, the master had every right to call him to account on his debt and yet was willing to release him. I need to add this, that Forgiveness always includes the idea of making it right between offenders, if at all possible. And I realize it's not always possible. I realize that for some of us, we've been hurt by people who, who've actually who are died, and there's, there's, there's no chance to have a conversation with them. Perhaps there's people who, who, don't, who don't want anything to do with you and will not have a conversation. But whenever possible, forgiveness means a reconciliation, a restoration. Think about it. We don't want the scenario where God says, fine, you're forgiven, your debt's paid. And then he turns his back and has, like, we're just, we're just going to keep a distance between us. Like, yes, everything's okay. I, may, I mean it, seriously. Everything's fine, but we're just not going to talk, okay? Just stay away from me. Like, we don't want that. That's not, that's not reconciliation, That's not what Jesus did. Jesus forgave our debts that we owed him and then went further and made us his sons and daughters. Brought us near through his blood, the Bible says. He reconciled us to himself. He has a free and open relationship. He treats you and I this morning. This is outrageous. He treats you and I this morning as if we had never sinned against him. Imagine that. Some of us here this morning, and we're going we're gonna to press this home at, in, in just a moment, but some of us here this morning are holding on to stuff that people have done, and legit stuff. I'm not talking about petty stuff. They looked at me the wrong way, or they didn't say hi to me. I'm talking about serious, genuine, sin-against-you stuff. And some of us are holding on to that and choosing not to let it go, choosing not to forgive. What God calls us to do this morning is to bring restoration in that relationship so far as depends on you. To not just say, okay, I'm going to just choose to release it, let it go. But even beyond that, to seek restoration, to seek reconciliation. For the Christian, forgiveness is not optional. And this story illustrates the utter insanity of being an unforgiving Christian to be released from such an insurmountable debt and then refusing to forgive someone for mere pennies. Forgiveness, my brothers and sisters, should run through each and every one of our veins. 
Colossians 3.13, the Apostle Paul tells us that, to bear with one another, forgiving one another. And if anyone has a grievance against another, just as the Lord has forgiven you, so you are also to forgive. It's not based on the worthiness of the offender. It's not fair. Forgiveness is not fair. You realize that God did not treat us fairly by forgiving us. We deserve to be separated from him in hell for all eternity. That's, that's what we deserve. We truly deserve that. Whether you believe it or not this morning, that's what each and every one of us deserved. That would be fair. Forgiveness is never fair. But the community of the forgiven must be a forgiving community. C.S. Lewis has said, to forgive the incessant provocations of daily life, how can we do it? He says, only I think by remembering where we stand. To be a Christian means to forgive the inexcusable because God has forgiven the inexcusable in you. Now, I wish we had time to this, is, this would be an entire sermon. I wish we had time to really unpack this deeply, but I just want to take a moment and, and address what about unrepentant sin? What about those who have perpetrated great harm against us? I know that we have in this room those who have gone through horrific abuse in, in all kinds of forms. And sometimes in the church, forgiveness can be this sort of, well, it, can, it has made excuse for abusers. You just need to forgive them and move on. I wish we had more time to dive into this. But I will just say this. Forgiveness never does away with justice. Okay? God, our God is a just God. He always takes care of sin. And if you have been harmed, and if you have been hurt, and you've been sinned against in ungodly ways, and you've sought restoration, and, and there is an unwillingness to repent, a hard-heartedness, just know that, that God is going to deal with that sin. Forgiveness is not excusing sin. And God will deal with that. Furthermore, it doesn't, it doesn't mean that we, we should not seek justice for, for abusers in this world even. Well, just, you just need to let it go. God says let it go. No, he doesn't. He says forgive them. He doesn't say let it go. There may be, there may be criminal actions that need to be dealt with in the normal processes that he has developed in human government. Again, there's a lot more that could be said there, but we just need to remember that forgiveness is not excusing. Forgiveness is not ignoring and many times there's legal ramifications that need to be pursued in order to protect others from being hurt what jesus is saying here the bottom line is that if you don't forgive you've not encountered god's forgiveness if you don't forgive if i don't forgive you've not encountered the forgiveness of god an unwillingness to release people shows that we haven't been released. An unwilling to say, 
I forgive you, means that we don't understand, we've never truly, deeply experienced the forgiveness of Jesus. That's the only sense I can make of these words in the words of Matthew 6. He's not saying that we must forgive in order to receive forgiveness, that we've got to earn it. That misses the point of the parable. Rather, he's saying that the forgiven heart will forgive. In the heart that does not yet understand forgiveness, we'll hold on to it. Tim Keller says, Jesus' final sentence means that divine mercy should change our hearts so that we're able to forgive as God forgave us. If we will not offer others forgiveness, it shows we did not truly repent and receive God's. You can see why the sayings of Jesus here are, are harsh. Because we love to sing about the grace of God and the mercy of God and the forgiveness of God. But if it doesn't change anything in our hearts and in the way we live, we don't understand what we're singing about. If it doesn't get down to our core and affect how we relate to other people, then we haven't figured out the first thing about what it truly means to be forgiven. Do not miss just how confrontational this parable truly is. It's not a story about someone being outrageously forgiven by God and then goes out and spreads love wherever he goes. No, this is a story about someone who personally encounters the limitless forgiveness of God and simply walks away unchanged. And that's a danger for every single one of us sitting in the pew this morning. That we can encounter the forgiveness of God through his word, through others in our lives, through the songs that we sing through the, the sermons that you hear on the radio and, and through podcasts. and we can, we can bump up against this God who, who, who forgives. And yet, if our hearts are not forgiving, we've only walked past this God and not truly encountered him. How in the world do we do this? I just want to close with this. I didn't put it on the screen, but... How can, we, how can we have this happen? Because I, I know there's every, every single one of us in this room has been hurt. And some of us, some of us are holding on to those. Some of us have been hurt in, in ways that you, you've never even told another soul. And you can't put into words the depth of the pain that another person has caused you. I want you to know this morning that Jesus understands and understood exactly what he was saying. And he knew, even before the words were out of his mouth, that you and I would be hearing them this morning, and you and I would be struggling to let go of something. And he's saying, yes, that too. It doesn't fall outside the lines of what I'm talking about here this morning. You don't get a pass. You don't get, you don't, you're, you're not, you, you don't get excused here from this one. Jesus understands how much it's going to cost to forgive. He understands better than anybody who has ever walked this earth. Because it cost him his life. It cost him being forsaken by the Father. In order to forgive you and me. He understands the price that's paid in order to forgive. Oh, he does. So when he tells us this, he doesn't do it flippantly. 
You'll never hear Jesus say, just get over it. He understands the cost of forgiving better than anyone else. And he says, join me. Join me in forgiving one another. So how do we do this? First of all, we have to name the offense. In the story here, the man was brought to him. It was called out. We need to, we need to acknowledge what's been done openly and honestly. This is what happened to me, and this was wrong. Or this is what I did, and this was wrong. Then we need to go back and meditate on the outrageous forgiveness of God, that, that $400 billion sin debt we owed that we could not pay, and we think about what Jesus did to take that from us, and we think about all the things I do each and every day to turn my back on God. Each and every day. It's not like you used to do sinful things. It's not like I used to do things that offended God. I do them every day. And his forgiveness is still enough. It continues to pursue me day in and day out. Meditate on the goodness of God to you. And then what you have to do is consciously release them of the debt they owe to you. Before God, say, God, even say it out loud. God, you saw this sin. And you were angrier than I when this person did this to me, when they said this to me. But God, I, I just have to give it to you. I offer them forgiveness. And then you go to them and offer them forgiveness. And I realize, listen, I, I'm making all the same excuses in my mind that you are right now. I get it. They're not going to want to talk about it. They don't think they did anything wrong. I, I get all that stuff. I've used all those excuses myself. They've probably forgotten it. They didn't even know. As much as you can, and, and we, can't, we all know this, we can't control reconciliation. But as much as you can, make it right and say, I, I want you to know I forgive you. It may, it, the conversation may go south. They may not want to talk about it. But you're living in obedience to God by doing that. And who knows? Who knows what beautiful things could happen? And then you have to make a conscious decision to refuse to bring that up. In your own mind, refuse to replay the video. In your mind, refuse to get in little subtle jabs here and there. Or when you have another argument with your spouse, bringing that up from the past, that thing that you've forgiven. This is where the Apostle Paul talks about taking every thought captive. When that begins to rise up, and it will, if you've been hurt at all, if, you're, if you have a pulse, it will rise up, and you'll be tempted to stew on it. You'll be tempted to, to throw out that little passive-aggressive jab the next time you guys are talking, or they do it again. And you say, no, I'm, I'm not going to let it go there. God, I have forgiven them for that as you have forgiven me. God, I, I want to live in that freedom. We're going to choose not to slander them around others. And we're going to choose to pray for them. We don't root for them to fail. We don't root for them to get theirs. 
We pray for God's blessing in their lives. We pray for healing. And if they were, if they were someone who is unrepentant, who, who did not respond when we came and, and brought it before them and offered forgiveness, if, if, they, if they just dug their heels in, then we continue to pray that God would soften their hearts and that he would grant them forgiveness, all the while knowing that if they refuse that offer of forgiveness, God will take care of it one day. You may not see justice here on earth, but God will take it. Either, either that sin is going on the shoulders of Jesus Christ or it's going on their shoulders and they will be eternally separated from God in hell. We shouldn't root for that. We cheer for and pray for repentance in a humble heart. This morning, I just, I don't know what God's doing in your hearts. I don't, I don't know where you're at, but I know, I know every single person in this room has struggled with forgiving somebody at some point in their life, and chances are there's a lot of us in here this morning who are struggling to do it today. And I, I, don't, I don't want you to just walk out of here and ignore this. Do you hear the words of Jesus? If we don't forgive, we don't have his forgiveness. If we have not been changed by his grace, if our hearts have not been melted by his grace, then we will be that servant cast into prison. We must be willing to forgive. We can only, this is insane, and and, and when you start reading uh, secular literature on this, it's crazy. People mock us as Christians for talking like this. This is only possible because of the forgiveness. This is only possible because of the cross. This is only possible because of what Jesus has done for you and me. And when we truly understand that, we're going to be forgiving people. So I just I want to say this this morning as we close in prayer. If God's speaking to your heart this morning, don't walk out of here today and just ignore that. There's some of us up here who would love to pray with you, but maybe you know somebody in this very room that you need to immediately walk over to and deal with this. And God is telling you, don't leave this building today. Before doing it, don't, don't have your lunch this afternoon before you make that phone call. Don't let this go. If we hear the words of Jesus, we hear how deadly serious unforgiveness is and how crippling it can be emotionally, physically, and spiritually in every way. My brothers, Jesus tells us, my sisters, Jesus tells us that he who has been forgiven much. She who has been forgiven much loves much. When we understand what he's done for us, oh, may it transform us to be a forgiving people. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I know that I I don't I don't understand the depth of my sin. I don't understand all that took place in Jesus' death in bearing my sin. I don't understand the, even the, the, the consequences of, of, of what it was like to be separated from you because of just how ugly it was when he took my sin, my sin on his shoulders. But God, I, I do have, I have your word and I, I can see 
just a little glimpse as to how costly forgiveness is. And I can't believe, God, that you've forgiven me. I can't believe, God, that you've welcomed me as your son. God, my prayer this morning is that we understand that forgiveness in a way that makes us want to be forgiving people. But if, if there's those here this morning who it's just dawning on them that, that maybe they really don't understand your forgiveness after all, may that be the starting place today. God, may they encounter you as the God who takes their sin upon himself and pays for that sin so that he might forgive them. May they know Jesus in that saving way through faith. But for those of us who have encountered your grace, Lord, would you reveal where there's unforgiveness in our hearts and may we deal with it post-haste. May, may we not allow a root of bitterness to grow up in our hearts. Lord God, may we offer up forgiveness as we have so gladly received yours. Now the eternal God who is your refuge be a rock that is beneath you, the shelter that is above you this day and all the days until Jesus comes. And it's in the precious and forgiving name of Jesus we pray. Amen. May God bless